It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A Adams, and I'm excited to have Bill Allen on the show today. Bill is a father of three children, five and under. Incredible. That's hard enough to deal with on its own. Additionally, he's flipping about 200 houses, wholesale and some fix and flip every single year. Like that, this business is flipping 200 houses. And I remember back in 2015 or 16, I flipped about seven houses over two years. And that's why I don't have any hair anymore is because I flipped those seven houses and it took me two years to do it. Now he's doing 200 houses every year, which is just insane to me. But okay, add on top of of those three young children and now add on top, he's still um, flying for the Navy, I believe, flying for the Navy part-time. And can we add something else to it? I mean, like, let's see if this will break. Um, he joined Seven Figure Flipping a long time ago with Justin Williams. And actually, over time, he became in the leadership. And he actually took over Seven Figure Flipping and now is running one of the best and biggest uh, and most well-known uh, flipping educational companies in the world. So I have Bill Allen on the show, and we're really going to dive deep into his genius zone, which is being able to find and then hire and then lead the right people to be able to manage three kids, 200 flips, and a massively profitable and helpful educational company. So I know we're going to learn a lot with these five things that we're going to discuss. But before we get into there, Bill Allen, why don't you give me a bit of your bio that I missed as it pertains to today's discussion? Well, thanks, Adam. Okay, no pressure at all based on, that's probably the best introduction I've ever heard. And I thought maybe you were talking about somebody else because I didn't think I was that busy <laughs> all the time. So um, thank you for that. I really appreciate that. And in just a short time of us knowing each other, that's really uh, flattering to hear that uh, you say that. So um for me, I, so I'm a military guy, Navy background. Like you said, I, I did fly for the Navy. I was active duty for 15 years. And I think that's where a lot of my leadership came from without even kind of knowing it. I think a lot of times what we do is we, we go through life and we are hitting the next wicket in our life and not even realize that we have this skill or we're picking up this skill. And it's just being pounded into us over and over. And that's what really what it is, is repetition. And so that's where I think I got a lot of my leadership skills and abilities. And then what I think I realized it when to be perfectly honest, I was afraid to hire my first person. I was flipping like one house a year. I had a new son. It was 2015. We moved from Maryland to Florida and I knew that I needed to become financially free. This was my path. And I knew real estate was the path that I wanted to go, go down. I had some rental properties. I was trying to flip houses. I was bumping into, just like you said, seven houses in two years. You're pulling your house. I was doing one a year with a full-time job flying for the Navy. And I thought I was going to go crazy. I mean, the contractors were driving me nuts. I was doing everything in my business. I needed to systemize it. And when my mentor, it was Andy McFarlane at the time when I joined Seven Figure Flipping, him and Justin created this company. And he told me I need to hire somebody. And I, I was afraid, like deathly afraid to hire someone. And so I hired my first person. And that's when I started to realize how important this is, leadership and 
you know, figuring out who I am before I can figure out who other people are. So then I hired my first person. I went from one flip that year to, we did about 67 wholesale and flips, about 12 flips and somewhere in the 50 range of wholesale that first year. And then the second year, 135. Then the year after that, we hit like 187. And we're kind of hovered around that, you know, 160 to 200 range for the last three years. And so that was the kind of growth that I had. I have about 15 people that work for that company called Blackjack Real Estate. I hired a COO two years ago and bringing him in has allowed me to work about two hours a week in that business and freed me up to do a lot of the mentorship that I was doing in seven figure flipping before buying the company six months ago. So I've probably hired and trained and onboarded 50 or more people over the past few years in multiple companies. And to me, I think that's the name of the game. People call it, talk about systems and automation and process all the time, but the human element of it, the people, if you can get that down, you can get great people who are self-motivated to do what you need them to do and they need to do, and they're excited to come to work every day, then that's how you build a really, really incredible company. And so that's my focus. And so I think I learned it in the Navy flying for so long, not even realizing it, it was there until I had to start building companies and becoming entrepreneurial. So that's kind of my story in a nutshell, I think. Uh, thank you for going into that. And I'm excited about this because I, I run a couple of companies and I have a couple of kids and I feel like this is something that I could absolutely do a lot better. And so I'm going to learn a lot from what you're discussing today. And if anybody out there wants to run a coaching program, if anybody out there wants to uh, flip more houses, if anybody wants to do better at their multifamily syndication, well, this is the show for you because we're really going to be talking about how to find, how to hire, and how to lead the right people and get them in the right seats. And we're talking about uh, understanding your culture. We're talking about being able to extract that from other people and then being able to understand how to put them in place. And I can't wait to ask some detailed questions, but the five steps here, the first one that you said in the pre-interview bill is talking about really who you are. So I want to first ask, why is it important to understand who you are before you start um, bringing on other people? And then just teach us a little bit about how to find out who you are. Sure. So I, I think it's incredibly important to know this. And I didn't realize it for a couple of years. I thought that I was just going to strengthen my weaknesses and just continue with my strengths. And that was what I should do because that's what I'm taught since I'm little is, hey, you're weak over here. Go do better at that and go do better in that and strengthen this instead of staying in my zone that I'm really, really good at in the area that I know that I'm incredibly infect, uh, effective and then go find someone else who already knows how to do all that stuff and plug them in so that we can both be in our kind of genius zone. So if you don't know yourself, then how are you going to know when you do hire that person, how you're going to manage them or what, what tasks they should be doing because you should be doing the tasks that you're in the beginning that you're really, really good at. So Adam, the person that you hire first is likely going to be different than the person that I hire first, unless we're very similar people. So somebody who is an accountant, who's really, really good at doing the books might not hire that out first. And somebody who's an incredible salesperson might not hire out the bookkeeping and the accounting or might hire out the bookkeeping and the accounting and not the sales. So in the beginning, when you're a small company, it's important to know what you're good at, but also what you really love to do because you know when you're busy and you're getting to that point where you're, you're sitting down and you're going, I only have like a half an hour. What's the task that I'm going to get done? It's typically like the easiest thing or the thing you're really good at. It's not the most important priority of the day. So 
knowing myself and how I'm going to lead and what kind of person I am, that's the most important thing hands down. Because if I don't know who I am, then how do I know who I'm going to look for to plug into me where we can kind of benefit each other? And if I, if I go hire a bunch of me's in the company, same person as me, we're not going to make it. I've got to hire people that think differently than me, act differently than me, um, perform differently than me. If I'm not detailed, I need somebody who's detailed. If I'm really detailed, I need somebody who might be a little bit better at delegating. So the same thing, like if you look at your spouse, me and my my wife and I are, we're we're totally different people. It's very rare that you find two of the exact same people that kind of mesh and can build a family and, and go forward. It's frustrating, but you got to find that kind of yin to your yang. So you've got to really look inward first to know, number one, what you're good at, but what you really like to do also and what, you're, what you want to be doing and you should be doing. So you stay in that like, quote unquote genius zone or the, um, the highest and best use of your time. So that's step one, I think, in anything. Yeah, and part of step one, as we were discussing in the pre-interview, is, is, is just understanding your core values as well. Like, one thing that I've noticed is in, in my history, and I've started a lot of companies, but I don't really, I haven't really spent a lot of time trying to discuss or think about my core values. Really what I come up with is I'm super busy, I need someone. And it's just like, where do I find them? And, and I haven't taken that step back to define what are my core values. So I have found that I've worked with a lot of people over the years since 2006 when I was really started, starting to start companies, when I really became an entrepreneur, um, that I've had to Uh, I've had a lot of stress working with different people. I've had to fire different people. I've had to um, just really um, bite my tongue sometimes. And I feel like if I took that time to understand my core values in this process of step one, defining who who I was or who you are, I think I could do better. So let me ask you how – how do you help other people or how can you help me or the listener – be able to take that step back while we're busy and knowing we need to hire somebody to really define the core values that are necessary for them to have as well. Yeah, it's the number one thing. No doubt about it. Knowing yourself is part of in this journey, figuring out what is really important to you and who can you work with. You know, those you, you talk about you've had some people that have come on that you've hired and brought on and there's times where you'll say they're pretty good at their job. I don't know. There's just something about them that is rubbing me the wrong way or they're just not doing something, but I can't pinpoint what it is. And it's not necessarily in their work it's just, it's something that's typically a core value. So if you look at a core value, it's like something that if somebody did to you or they violated one of your core values, a major, major problem. Like we are not friends anymore. We're likely never doing business again. Um, if it's a spouse, it's like counseling. It's that, that kind of, it's not something that you want to be. It's something that you inherently are inside. And if you've been built into you since you were a kid, a baby. Mm -hmm. And so what I see when I look around at my family, I see a lot of my mentors and people that have in my life that I can pinpoint that have shaped and developed my core values. So what I, what I'm able to do is look at them and say, like my dad, my dad is the number one core value carrier of anybody in my life where I kind of sucked my core values out of when I sat down and said, what is it? about what are these things to me that if you violated them, that we would, 
we just would not talk. I would not return your call, email. We would never do business together. I would never loan you money. I wouldn't get into a deal with you, period. And what, what I was able to see is the values that I saw in him and everybody else and my mentors were the values that you have being projected out from them. So I, it's, I would say everybody, if you're listening to this and you have people in your life or employees or a friend or somebody who hurt you recently, they likely violated a core value. You haven't talked to them in years or months and you won't. It's pr- likely a core value violation. And that can be, that should tell you something and say, you need to stop being busy and sit down and actually mm-hmm. write these out and make them important and make them forefront, memorize them. Every single person in my company, can, if they were on this podcast right now, they can tell you exactly what our company's core values are because they're mine. So, and yeah. if you're the owner, uh, take it a step further and say, as an owner, you really need to, to own those core values, especially in a small company. If you're in a big company like Walmart and things like that, and you're in the owner's box or you're the CEO, it might not be your core values. But for us, most of us are small business entrepreneurs who it's typically the company's core values are aligned directly with the owners and the CEOs. So yeah. For me, I, I know what mine are. I can say them right here. They're extreme ownership. They're stewardship, hardworking, integrity, and personal and professional development. So those are my four, five core values. Every single person in my company can tell you what they are right now. And they can also tell you what those things mean to us as a company. Yeah. Because if you even take it a step further, it's okay. If I say integrity and you say integrity, we could be talking about two totally different definitions of what it is. And stewardship, especially like for me, it's stewardship to my, to each other, the company resources, as well as to the community. We're being good stewards of the community too, fixing up the houses, making sure that we take care of those sellers. If they got problems, we're fixing them, but we take care of each other first as a company. And then the customer becomes right after that. So I like where this is going. Um, my company not too long ago, maybe a year, it actually has been more than a year. Finally, um, we started reading these books, EOS and Traction. And one of the things that my CEO, DJ, who, so I've basically had to hire somebody else because I wasn't as detail oriented and I wanted somebody else who was able to do that. He, he brought this Traction thing and we, every week we have this, it's called an L10 or level 10 meeting. And on those meetings, we, we do rehearse, um, our core values once a week on, on Mondays. And it's like, uh, I, I won't, I, I read them and I've been doing it for a year, 52 times. I still don't have them completely memorized, but it's like one of them is we always do the right thing. Even when it hurts, we are accountable. Uh, we service a customer above all else. Um, we are service. We are growth oriented, both financially and spiritually. And um, we, what was the last one? We're creative and imaginative. Are those, um, are those, values kind of similar to what you're talking about? Are we kind of on the same page? Do you, and also, do you feel like the ones that you just heard that I shared, Bill, do you feel like we could hone them in a little bit better? For just from only, what you know. Yeah. The only reason I would say, yes, you can is because you're, it's taken you a year and you haven't really taken ownership of them. You, they're okay. not yours. Like yeah. if I came to you and I said, Adam, um, how do you feel about your core values? Your response yeah. to me should be, uh, here's, here's the response to an EOS coach. So we, we run off EOS also. We run L10s and all these things. Yeah. And we had a new EOS coach come into the business in, recently and sit down at our first meeting. And he said, hey, I know you guys have been implementing this, like self-implementing it. You've had some help in the past. Mm-hmm. And um, what do you think about your core values? I said, you're going to have to pry them from my cold, dead hands if you want to change them. <laughs> and that he said, okay, we can move on. And that was 
the response that I think that any business owner should have. So what I did was I did something that was in the beginning was kind of similar with you is I got my team and my staff around and I said, Hey, what do you guys think? We did like a half day meeting of core values and I Mm -hmm. let them all pick it and everything like that, as opposed to really what are mine and then what are each and every one of theirs? So the caution that I'll give any business owner that's listening is if your staff is if you don't have core values in place and you're hiring, firing, rewarding, and doing all the things based off the core values like you're supposed to in Traction and EOS teaches, yeah. and any, everybody pretty much teaches that, any of these systems, Rockefeller Habits, uh, any of these, the advantage. So what you've got is if you're not doing that, you've got, likely got the wrong people in the room who are now trying to help define your core values, who don't exhibit your core values, but they're maybe convincing you of something that should be a core value of yours, but it's not. So I think a lot of these people have aspirational core values. They have core values that they want to be a value of theirs. Mm-hmm. Like if, if integrity wasn't a true core value of mine, most people are like, oh yeah, integrity, definitely. That's a core value that we need in the company. Well, what are you doing when nobody's looking? Yeah. Are you really taking care of, of the right things? Are you doing the right things all the time? Is this really core to you? Or could you screw somebody over once on a deal and, not, and sleep okay at night? And so I've been, that's the core value of mine that tends to get violated the most is when somebody's not doing the right thing all the time. And we're not perfect by any means, but if you're going to say one thing to me and do another thing when I'm not around, that's, that's, that's a total violation of a core value. And it it truly is core to me. And so what, what I see a lot of times is we have them, we like them, we think they're okay but we haven't really owned them, which is yeah. that kind of extreme ownership core value of mine, right? Of like, we really have to take ownership of everything that we do and everything is our fault. So I love on. your answer. Thank you so much. And we're only in number one of five. And number one of five is really just knowing who you are, defining your real true core values. And now as we get to the second step that Bill is going to share with us, it's going to help us translate the, these core values and into who we're looking for to bring in onto the company. So let's go into how do you pull that out of other people? Yeah, so in the interview process, so now we've got our core values defined, right? We know who, who we are and who we are as a company and where we want to go. So now we've identified a position that we want to hire for, or even before that, you guys running off at of EOS you know, you've probably used the people analyzer tool, hopefully. So this people analyzer tool in EOS, for those who don't know, you line out your core values and then the get it, want it, and the capacity for it. We'll skip that. But you line out your core values and then on, you you write down everybody's name and you give them a plus, meaning they define that core value 80% of the time, most of the time, right? 80 or more is usually what I use in my head. Most of the time they're exemplifying that core value. A plus minus, which is some of the time, and then a minus, which is, most of the time they're not. And you're ranking out your people. So now you can look at the people inside of your organization and say, okay, who, who's above the bar? So you set the bar of where it is and who's, who's hitting the core values and who's not. And that will identify problems that you have no, like it's that person you can't put your finger on. You can't put your finger on what's going on. Yeah. That's the person. It's that person. And it's that it's because they don't exemplify that core value. They don't take ownership of what they do every day. They blame other people. They or they're not, they're not good stewards of the company resources. They're out, you know, spending a bunch of company money on the company credit card all the time without caring about it. They're, they're not hardworking. They're not, they're not do, going to events and seminars and reading books and becoming, you know, developing themselves per, personally and professionally. Yeah. So 
that tells you that. So now you've identified some weaknesses in your organization right now. So you could fortify it, or you could go out and say, I need this seat. I need this job role. And your ad should be written towards these kind of people that you're attracting. So Mm -hmm. use adjectives of people that you want to attract for this position. My ads don't say, you're going to be, uh, this is, we're a real estate company that does 200 flips per year, 200 flips and wholesale deals per year. Um, we're virtual and we're looking for somebody who can file paperwork, who can get deals to closing, who can talk to sellers, talk to buyers, uh, coordinate all the transactions and manage a bunch of money and make sure the wires go through and talk to title companies. We say we're looking for a hardworking individual who wants to be virtual who is excited about growing and building something with a team that is growing from over 100% every year for the last three years. We are a, a team that doesn't take, uh, who, who doesn't blame others, who we kind of build in these kind of, mm-hmm. uh, we paint a picture of what it is. If it's a salesperson, it's like, do you want to control your own compensation? Do you, do you love the art of the deal? Do you want to be someone who, who loves talking to people? We, we kind of, we don't, define what they're going to be doing. They def- we define the, the kind of company and kind of person they want to become inside that company. We use the, the things that will attract their personality profile and some of the values of that person. And hopefully we screen out the people who don't, who go, yeah. I'm not, not working hard. <laughs> I want a job where I can just show up and get paid. I, I'm, no way. Hardworking company. They, they value uh, development of, of each other. They, they're, no, it's not, not for me. So our ads are written that way to attract that person. And then taking a step further, when I interview somebody, it's not resume-based interviewing. Mm-hmm. We, we'll look at the resume. Like, well, I'll look at their resume. They have, if, if you're going to do marketing for me, you have to have done marketing before. Yeah. You can't be somebody. Who, and if you're going to do sales for us, you've got to know, you've got to have a history of sales. So that's, that's a kind of a pay to play type thing. And then in the interview with a salesperson, for example, now I look at my core values and I say, how am I going to ask this person if they take extreme ownership? They take ownership for everything that they do. I'm not going to say, do you take ownership for everything that you do? This is not my interview question. My interview question is, tell me about the last deal that went wrong. What happened? Yeah. And let them blame somebody else and say, well, this other investor came in and scooped up the deal and he badmouthed us or say, you know what? here's what happened. I went in, I made an offer and then somebody else came in, made a better offer and I didn't follow up with that person and I lost the deal. What I should have done is this, this, and this. Now that person is telling me right now that they are exhibiting one of my core values and I'm starting to pick up on it. So all my questions are revolving around, tell me the last book you read. Tell me the last seminar and event you went to. Um, what does the last few years look like? Your top five favorite books that you've read that have really changed your life. And if it's like Harry Potter or something like these kind of things, it's like our one great example is our lead manager right now. She's from Moldova. She moved here. She won the green card lottery. And uh, it's just insane odds against every, they brought their little daughter over here in with hardly any clothes, no money, all this stuff. They worked their way up and her, the last book that she read was traction when we were interviewing her for a lead position at like $12 an hour off Craigslist. It was just incredible. This, there's people out there who they're, they're developing themselves all the time and that fits our core values to a T. So yeah. revolve your questions and ask around your core values. That's the key. Brilliant. Thank you for going into that. So number one, <clears throat> define who you are, who, what are your core values? Number two, 
you got to be able to pull that out of people by asking the right questions, not specific to the resume, but more specific to um, finding out in a roundabout way, really, if they exemplify your core values or not. And one of the things that you mentioned in the pre-interview is just talking about the culture index. Now, I've, I've heard of the, the predictive index or and then and the culture index and, and uh, what there's a couple others as well that I think I've even taken the tests on. I guess the, my, my question for you that I think will help the listener as well if they're really working to grow a company is just understanding at what point in the interview process do you have them take this culture index? Is it, is it before you ever meet with them in person? Uh, would, you look at the, would you look at the responses to the culture index, understand who they are, and cut them out of not even having an interview? Or is this something where you, you, they've kind of passed the, the, this level, they passed this level, and then you're like, okay, now that you're at this point, why don't you take a culture index? Yeah, that's a great question because we kind of kind of skipped over it a little bit. So that's kind of step one in our process. Mm-hmm. And I, he- I hesitate a little bit because it, depending on who your listeners are, if you're a small company, so I started with the DISC test, D-I-S-C. So, mm-hmm. um, and it tells you some, some great information. And that's how I got to know myself in the beginning was looking at the DISC. And then I took it a step further where the culture index and you mentioned predictive index, these are paid uh, these are paid companies. I basically have a hiring coach along with that who, that comes with Culture Index. So I can actually uh, talk to him when I have an ad that we're going to post. Hey, what do you think is the best profile for this? And we'll kind of hash that out together. And then mm-hmm. we'll post it with the profile structure of exactly what we want. And then we have a backend system that when leads come in, I can see a percentage match up to a certain level that I can filter and sort by. So I I won't even look at anybody. So my process is very different than what it was before. But even if you're just getting started and you're getting going, this is a great process. Whether it's Colby, it's DISC, it's um, Myers-Briggs, there's lots of different personality profile testing that aren't as expensive as Culture Index, for example. We pay pay around $10,000 a year in the beginning. We pay about $6,000 a year now for that. So that gives you an idea of how much this is. So for us, it's... 100% useful. We need it. And now we don't even let somebody, I won't look at a resume until their dots and culture index line up to what I'm looking for. So we, we get hundreds of people a day and they're just going, and I'm just, we're just looking at dots. And once I get one that I like, then I'll look at the resume, the resume fits, then we'll schedule an interview. What I used to do is the other way around. I'll just schedule interviews. And the other thing, I don't want to bounce around too much. We'll schedule a bunch of interviews and then I'll realize that I kind of like them. I'm not sure. And then their personality profile, I, I did after the fact and go, wow, this person is not really a personality fit, but I can talk myself into the fact that they can modify and adjust for that because of who they are and all of these things. No, they can't. That's about knowing who you are. That's the yeah. step one, right? My yeah. personality profile, I know who I am primarily because of a lot of these personality surveys that I've taken. And one other tip, you use the word test. I use the word survey. I never use the word test because then what they do is they start overthinking everything. They start thinking about their answers and what should, the the one thing that I don't like about some of the cheaper um, surveys that are out there is you can, like if I took a disc disc test for you right now and I knew what position it was for, I can manipulate that thing to whoever you think that I should be. 
Mm-hmm. And so there's four, there's four options. I can tell which one is which and who, <laughs> what I should answer for what position. But so in my interview, if I'm using DISC or using Colby or using some of these other ones that are cheaper or free, is I'll ask them if they've ever taken that survey before. And if they tell me yes, then I'll start digging into it a little bit more. And I'll always ask them what they thought of their results. So do you think that you're this kind of person? Do you think that they're that kind of person? And I'll, I'll listen to their answers because that's telling me even more about my core values and theirs is, you know, are they honest with themselves? Do they think, do they see that as a limitation? Do they see that as a pro or a con? How are they talking to me? How are they going to show up when they start working for me over the years? Are they going to show up and own it? Or are they going to show up and say, no, that's not me. That's, that's, that's not true. When I'm pretty certain it's, it's going to be right more often than not. So that personality profile testing, I think, is part of getting to know who you are and then getting to know who these people are. And so you've got to do that as step one. Like yeah. that should be top of funnel, not bottom of funnel activity yeah. for hiring. And if you're not treating hiring like you're treating leads for sellers, for buyers, for lenders, for if you're a syndicator, you, it's a funnel. Everything we do is a funnel. You're treating this lead as top of funnel. You want to start whittling them down because your time should not be spent talking to hundreds and hundreds of candidates who have no business working for you in that position. Yeah. It might be another position that they would be good for, but you've really got to build it like a funnel and think of it like leads and then bring the good leads in, let filter them down to the great ones and then spend your time with them. So on the, on this PI that I've mentioned, um, I'm a, I'm a part of a mastermind, a paid mastermind called leadership boardroom, Sean McCloskey. And, um, within his program, he likes to understand, um, our, our personality profiles. I think it does a lot for him. It helps, it helps him to be able to, um, really coach us. But I also, um, you know, I, how do I say this? Um, I, I love Sean and I love myself and I think that I'm, I have every, um, all the people's best interests at mind. But with the, with that said, I feel like understanding somebody's personality as you start to work with them can also help you if you're running a mastermind or whatever to know the best way to keep have the retention to keep them in the mastermind and keep you know because it is a paid mastermind so I, th- I think on all levels it's been really amazing now although I took a small detour on that what I was going to say is that I was so fascinated by taking the PI that um, in my other business, so I, Blue Spruce is where I, I uh, do all of my purchasing of multifamily. And then over, over here on my personal brand, I do coaching and mentoring and things like that. So as I was hiring some people um, or attempting to hire some people and only hired one, um, I actually hired that same person who did my PI just as a, as a consultant to work with me on finding these people uh, that may be able to work with me. And what was interesting is just like you said, the dots. Um, so on PI, and I don't know what it looks like on uh, culture index, but on, on predictive index, you know, like my top one was all the way on the right. My, then it goes left and it goes right. Then it goes left. And um, I think I was like, two things. One of the times I took it was a maverick or whatever this means. And so what he was stating to me is you need somebody who fits these dots. And, um, 
And it's, it was actually very hard only going through five people to find somebody. You said you look at hundreds to find somebody who matches that. Now, I found somebody who fit okay and I'm very happy with how that's turning out because they're flexible in the parts where, you know what I mean? Um, but at any rate, I think that this part, uh, talking about the personality profiling and how you do that first what I've noticed in my own businesses is, is that that's truly impactful um, beyond what I think can just be illustrated in words. But uh, I don't want to take too much time on that. I, I've been getting a ton of value on number one and number two. We also have three, four, Adam, and five. Yeah. Adam, before you move on, I, I just want to jump in here because I think it's really imp- – I think yeah. the fact that we take a lot of time on these two is important yeah. because okay, this, good. Is the, this is the thing. Like if you can master this – the rest of it falls over. It's, it's okay. doable and it'll happen. If you put the right people in the company and you hire them, you bring them in, you understand their personality, you, they fit your core values, you will explode. You will build the foundation that will move the needle for your business year over year over year. And so this is not an overnight thing that you're going to learn, that you're going to master, that you're going to, that you're going to get. You've got, this is, this is developed for me over years and years of understanding this. And now we finally got it. We built the foundation last year. I cannot wait for what's going to happen. But you said something about modification of who they are. So a lot of times what we do is we do say, okay, this person is a little bit off. They got something here, but they're a little bit off, but they can modify to change themselves. And I'm happy with how they're modifying. So what I found was I had a lot of people that were modifying in my company. They were doing good, but they weren't doing, okay. if you ever read Jim Collins, good to great, they're doing good, but not great. Okay. So great people that are self-motivated to do the things that need to be done, that this is what you need. So you need the people who exemplify that in your business, that profile that you need. Because my coach recently said to me, this is what they do when they're at home relaxing or they're under stress. This is who they are. And when you're under stress and everything hit the fan, right? And nothing's going right. This is who shows up. And who do you want to show up? Do you want the natural person to show up who should be in that seat? Or do you want the person that's modifying to become that to, to their actual personality to show up in that scene? So if I have a salesperson who's really good at sales and they just seem to be like, but they, they actually hate it because it's not who they are. It's not the kind of person that they are. When they get under stress, and they get burned out, they're going to get to the point where they're going to snap. But if I got the person who that's their profile, that's what they do, their sales profile. And we, they're trailblazers typically in, in culture index. There's names like, like you guys have in PI. Yeah. So th- that's what they go to when they're under stress and everything's going wrong. They go to their natural profile, which they're living in all the time. So not only does it, it's, a, it's also a management tool, not just a hiring tool. Because now I know how, my, how the people are modifying to do their job. And if they're having to modify, so we have them take it every quarter. So every three months, they're taking it again. Because now the assessment tells me, in your job role, what do you think you should be doing? Not who you are. So that who you are section in Culture Index is locked at the top. And then there's, a, there's two portions of it. And the second one we use as a management tool to say, how are you modifying in your job role? So what my goal is as a leader is to, and, and Nate's goal, my COO as a manager to, mod- to make sure that those people are not modifying at all. They're fitting back into their profile. If they are modifying, then we can move them back to their natural state because that's when they're also going to be incredibly happy. And that's going to yeah. take us to the next couple steps of making sure your people are happy, they're working in their genius zone, they're doing the things that they need to do. 
And the way that you get there is by making sure that they're living in that natural state that they want to be in, that they were since they were 12 years old. This is who they are. But we, and the other, take it even further as an owner and a leader and and a manager in that company, how do you think your staff feels when you care about how they feel? Like you, you're really concerned about whether they're happy in their position and their job or not. I mean, I've, I've let people go because I know that they're unhappy in their job role, in their personality. And I just, I just got a letter from somebody who said, thank you so much for firing me. And I just got another uh, message from somebody, an email from somebody else saying, hey, I finally found myself. You were right. And at the time, they were incredibly pissed off at me. <laughs> but now they're saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. And the people inside the company are just saying, I wouldn't, I've never worked for somebody. I've never worked for a boss. I've never worked for an owner who actually cared about the happiness of their staff. And I know these people will do anything for the company and anything for us. So long, long way around to that modification. It's okay to modify. There's going to be times where I'm going to have to do stuff that I just don't want to do. But if it's like 80% of the time that I'm doing stuff that I shouldn't naturally be doing, that's a problem. If it's 10 or 20%, fine. We're not all going to have a job or do everything that we want to do. Like there's plenty of times where I'm a little bit unhappy with the actual task that I have to execute. But if that was what I was doing every day, all the time, I would be those people who are on the job ads searching for another position on a regular basis at work. I would be complaining to everybody else on the staff. I would be causing a culture problem inside the company. But when everybody's happy and everybody's rowing the same direction in the seat that they should be in, doing the thing that fulfills them in their genius zone, boom, like now we've got a company that can do great things. So I love where this conversation's going and we've really only talked about the first two out of five. And when we get back, we're going to really talk about not just what this genius zone is, but really how do you allow your, your, your uh, employees or your partners to find that genius zone? How do you find out where they fit within the company? And furthermore is, is how do you continue once they're there to lead them appropriately. So we're going to go into those last three things, but we're going to take a quick break break first. And so we write back with those last three. Okay, so here's the simple truth. If you don't have private investors waiting on the sidelines right now, you're going to have a hard time closing your next syndication. Are you afraid to talk to investors? Do you feel you have a lack of credibility or no one will take you seriously? Or what about your systems? Do you have anything set up yet? Well, if you know you can improve on getting in front of and influencing passive investors, then you should call my friend, Adam Adams. Adam has a proven system for you to flip the script. Now, this this is a five-figure investment for you to take your business to the next level. I want to see you succeed, so I placed a link in the show notes for you to apply to work with the Adam Adams. And if you think you'd qualify and you know you're going to take action on what he teaches you, then scroll down. Find the link and take your money-raising abilities to the next level. And we're back with Bill Allen, and we want to dive into these last three things. When you're being able to hire somebody, how are you knowing that you're hiring the right person? So we already talked about first defining your core values, then understanding how to extract the core values from your potential uh, employees. Now what we're going to talk about is understanding where they might fit within the bus. So Bill, why don't you take it away with number three? Where do they fit? Yeah, so I think this, this part is, is predefining this role, right? What does a personality profile like we talked about, whether it's, you know, DISC, Colby, Culture Index, Predictive Index, whatever you're using, and you figure out what that person might look like. You get that, 
you get that profile, you get that core value fit. And now I'm starting to explain the role to them. That's when I start talking about, Hey, this is what it, it means to be this in this seat. This is what, this is what the, some of the job activities are. And they start to get to know that a little bit more in the interview process. And usually at this point now it's, it's before they come to me, but before it was all me. And so now I'm kind of the, I'm more of the core value um, tester. I'm more of the, Hey, does this person fit our culture? And really this is management level for me now that below the management, they're all hiring their own people. I'm not talking to those people anymore. So at this point now you, you know, the seat on the bus, you've got the personality profile, you've got the core value fit. Now it's, can this person do it? So that's where this GWC comes in from EOS and traction, the Gina Wickman book. It's, do they get it? Do they want it? And do they have the capacity to do it? So they have the skill set. The capacity is not necessarily the time capacity, but the skill set, they have the background and do they want to do the job? So now I'm actually asking them like, Hey, is this something that you're interested in doing? And what's, what is your plans for this? Are you going to get in here for six months, try to learn everything that we're doing and leave? Like, what are your goals here for the next few years? So what I do now is the best way to get them, once it's explained to them and they're, the way I get them excited about this job now is I take our three-year picture and I read it like they're sitting on an island. We're on an island somewhere and this is where we're going. We're going to this place in three years. I have them, if they're on a phone call with me, I'll try to, obviously if they're not driving, I have them close their eyes and I read it to them. So if you come to one of my events or something, you've probably heard that me do this for blackjack because I want everybody to hear what it's like, but I read them our three-year picture. We're making this much money. We're, we got this much profit. We're in this many markets. We have a, a quarterly event every year and an annual offsite. And we have a, a central headquarters where we all meet. We have uh, an operations department that is fully automated. We have as much money as we need to buy any house. And I just get them. And then I say, open your eyes. Can you see that? Can you see yourself there? And that is that last checkpoint to say, uh, I'm not really interested in that. Like employee benefits, uh, 401k plans, uh, I'm not really interested. Uh, uh, marketing department that can spin up a marketing, uh, uh, a new marketing in any city. We can drive leads and traffic in any city and close deals. Not really for me. So I try to get them excited about that and they can feel it and they get like chills. This is what I'm looking for in somebody who's like, I want to be a part of that. I'll fight to be a part of this. So that's me then kind of, you can't forget that you have to sell these people just as much as they're selling you. Like we, we think that people are just knocking on the door to come work for us. It's not the case in today's market, period. So this is the time where we have to talk about the seat, make sure they're the right fit for it, explain some of the roles and responsibilities, and then also get them excited about the future. Because if they can't see three to five years from now and where they want to be inside my company, then I'm not really interested in hiring them because we're hiring for long-term folks now. I don't want people who, well, I'm done. People cost you so much money. They cost you so much money. It's, it's at five, mm-hmm. 10 times as much as their salary is, is going to cost you to turn them over. Whether it's me putting in time and effort training them at $1,000 an hour or my COO or the management team or all the lost opportunity that comes in. So getting them that picture, that image, and really selling them on the opportunity that they should want to come work for us. Go leave where you're coming from right now. Like, because you're competing with incredible companies, especially as a small startup. So mm-hmm. a little bit different style for us now as a bigger company than when I was getting going, 
when I was getting going, it was kind of, I had to get them really excited though about the potential and the opportunity. So I, now it's, now we have, we have a background in history that they can, you know, look at before I had to really sell them on the opportunity and the vision and based off of other people that I knew in the industry who were doing big things that I had access to. So. so I've got, I've got number three is really just finding out where they fit within the company. And number four, kind of uh, attached to it would, is really just making sure that they are in their genius zone. So as you are at your events and you're having them close their eyes and you're sharing with them your three-year picture of really what it can look like and where you're going to be and how much money is coming in and what the operations look like and what it feels like. Um, Then once you've done that, how kind of try to answer three and four uh, together, how are you making sure that once you've done steps one and two and, and shown them that three-year picture that, they're truly in the seat on the bus that makes the most sense for them. So that's going to be time. You've got to, you've got to commit to the fact that you've got the right personality. You've mm-hmm. got the core value fit. They want the job. They, they're not, they're probably not going to get it at first. They're not going to necessarily understand it. They're not necessarily going to exactly get every aspect of that position and that's okay, but they have the capacity to do it. Meaning they, they, they have the skill set to do it. They have the want to do it. And then it's our responsibility as leaders and managers to get them to that place and give them enough time to get there. And I think that's going to go into five, which that we discussed, which is kind of holding them accountable and taking ownership is it's our responsibility. Now we picked that person. We picked their personality profile. We said they were a good core value fit. We liked their resume. We liked their answers. Now it's up to us to make sure that we put in as much time as they do to get to the next level of where they are, to make sure that they're in their genius zone. So that comes into that every three months, it's giving them that survey again and managing them and seeing how they're developing. How are things changing? Are they making adjustments back into their natural state? Are they having to modify? Like what are they doing well? Are they working well with others? But ultimately it's our responsibility to make sure of that. As entrepreneurs and leaders, I shouldn't say leaders, as entrepreneurs, and Mavericks, like you talked about, which <laughs> I know that profile. It's, it is a, it's very easy for us to say, here you go. You got the skill set. Go do it. Yeah. I'm going to be over here doing my thing mm-hmm. and let me know when it's done. You know me and, too well, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, you, you, you mentioned your profile. You gave me the cards uh, under the table. Like <laughs> I have your tarot cards in my hand, but um, it's a daredevil in culture index and I've worked for one and I know a lot of them. So you're not detailed. You want things done quickly. You, you, done yesterday. You're, you're really driven and motivated to do more and more and more, but you're not going to slow down. You get things done like 60% of the way and you need somebody else to come in and take the other 40 or sometimes it's 80%. It just kind of depends on the spread of that. So, and that's who almost all entrepreneurs are like that. That's why we are so valuable to the marketplace. That's why we are building businesses and brands and companies and stuff. So, so, the biggest thing is make sure that we are taking the time to put back in and pour back into our people. We got to take ownership of that. And if, if it's the wrong person, it's your fault. You hired them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's your fault. Everything is your fault. That's this Jocko Willink book, Extreme Ownership, that has become one of my core values. We just had him at, at our uh, Flip Hacking Live event. And it's just insane to listen to him and meet him and spend time with him. And this guy is, that's all he talks about is extreme ownership. Everything is your fault. It all comes down to you. If they don't do a good job, it's their fault. If they do a good job, but they, um, it, 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 
you put him there. It's your fault, period. Thank you for going into all of that. We are going to hop off. I know my other calls coming up. I would spend days with you, Bill. I think I've learned so much. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for going into all that. Um, we're, we're talking about one last thing that I want to bring out to the listener that needs to hear this all wrapped up in, in, in one place is that number five, what I learned the most from you in the pre-interview I want to share with the listener now is that Bill leads his team by really just showing them what they need to do and then just holding them accountable to it rather than micromanaging every step of the way. I tend to be more of a micromanager. I tend to be hyper-focused and really detail-oriented detail-oriented in some places where I really want it to be done right and done fast. And um, I think that that can get overbearing for many people, most people. So I really want to start taking a page out of Bill's book where um, one of the things I learned from him today is you've got to find a way to just show them what they got to do and then just hold him accountable. And then he's talking about every three months having him take that test again. He had him take the test in the beginning. In fact, when we talked about that PI test that I showed um, that my people didn't fit it perfectly, none of them did, um, and I picked the best solution that was on there. Um, When looking at that, Bill does this. He takes one of those graphed charts from PI or culture index that he pays 10 K a year for, and he knows who he's speaking to. And then he actually develops the ads to hire those people. He develops the ad so that he's speaking to that specific personality that is going to be higher, be hired for that role so that he can weed out the wrong people immediately, which I think is phenomenal. Bill, I'll definitely have you back on the show again. We could talk about how you're doing 200 deals, how you're uh, anything. There's so much that you have to, to give to us. If somebody heard about seven figure flipping and the flip hacking live that you host every year, and they wanted to know more about that, how do they find you? Yeah, I think they can just go to sevenfigureflipping.com. So it has all of our information on there. It's mastermind uh, groups that we have and the, and the event is all on there. So there's links to all that stuff. We just revamped the site. So that's the best spot. Thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate the value that you brought to the listener and to me and my team. I really, really, really appreciate it more than you know. And um, I'm going to let you go. But until next time, my friend, think outside the box. One thing that has made me successful is something that most people don't think of. It's the way that I've branded myself online. If you want to brand yourself to raise more capital, then I suggest working with my friend Adam Adams. So go ahead, scroll down, and find the link in the show notes.